0: So um, a few weeks ago, uh, I, I preached a message, and I asked one simple question, and I, I hope this doesn't offend anybody in here, because I said this word, yes, we are that church uh, where I'll say this. I, I asked everybody to raise their hand and say, like, how many people, like, want to admit that they suck in real life? Like, they're not as nice, and thank you. Somebody just raised their hand again that's saying, like, hey, you know what? I'm going to admit this thing, Right. And it's so funny because I, I shared that and there were some chuckles in the audience and there were people who were just like, yep, that's me. I raised my hand the highest and I was just like, yes, I, I totally am just, I suck in real life. You know, without Jesus Christ, man, I'm really, really nothing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when we have conversations like that in contexts like this, it, it, it's kind of like a joke. And we talk about those things that we are broken in in our lives, right? We talk about how, you know, man, I'm such a procrastinator. Oh, my gosh, I'm horrible at that. Or somebody who say, man, I'm just, I'm such a worrier. I worry so much. You know, or some people are like, man, I've got a foul mouth. I've been working on this thing for years. And, man, I just can't get rid of it. I'm just, I'm terrible. I'm just, I'm always cussing up a storm. And every time I get up, so, or some people say, like, you know, I just have a bad attitude. That's just me. That's who I am. You know, and we, we talk about some of these things, and, and, and it's almost like a joke, because you can sit around with your friends and talk about how broken we all are, and it's like, ha, 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 yeah, that's true. Man, I see that about you. I see that about myself and all of that. But what happens? What happens when we start really getting real about who we are? Like, we're, it's not a joke anymore, but we're recognizing some real major flaws in our lives. Where we're just, we no longer are okay with being the way we are. Where we're like, you know what, this is just unacceptable. I don't want to be a procrastinator anymore. I I don't want to have a foul mouth. I don't want to flip off the handle every time uh, I get into it with somebody or I get into a tense conversation. Where we really say like there's something essentially wrong with me and it's got to be fixed. So in this series um, summer playlist, we've been doing uh, something. This is something that we've done for the second year in a row, where we take popular music of what people are listening to. So it's not like anything that I come up with and I say, "Oh, I'm going to write this sermon on this song." No, we literally ask on Relevant People Nows. If you're not a, if you're not on our Facebook group, uh, Relevant People Nows, go ahead and log on to that. You can't do it in here because you got no cell phone reception. You can only listen to me. But anyhow. Um, Go ahead and go to Relevant People Now and, and jump on there, connect. But what we do is we put out this question. We say, hey, what's everybody listening to right now? What's on your summer playlist? What's on rotation on your iPods or on your Android phones? Or um, thank God she doesn't have her Windows phone anymore, Jen and John, in the bag. You guys have upgraded. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Anyhow, um, side note. Um, but, like, what are you guys listening to? What are you enjoying? So everybody sends in, and then we create a playlist on Spotify. And like I said, if you go to Relevant People Nows, you can get uh, the sounds of Relevant and hear what everybody's listening to. And so we, we, as we're getting ready to write the messages, we start picking certain songs in there, just something that, the, that, that we believe God is leading us to, that we want to see what's the biblical theme that comes along with the song? What are they talking about in here that we can look at the Bible and say, hey, the Bible speaks about this as well. So the first couple of weeks, we had a Hillsong track, amazing track uh, called So Will I. If you haven't listened to that message, I would encourage you to go listen to it. And then Pastor Derek yesterday, I mean, last week, uh, preached an an incredible message of uh, why I sing, why I sing. And he gave this incredible challenge. He was like, man, you know, we need to be singing more, especially the dudes in here. Some of us, we walk into church, and we know the songs. We're like, man, I'm not going to lift my hands. I'm good, you know. Or maybe we don't know the songs, and so we're just going to sit there like, we don't even want to bob our heads. Like, bob your head, dude. Enjoy the music. So he talked a little bit about that. This week, we've got a, news, a new song. I, I was hearing so much about this album. Everybody was telling me about this album, and then I saw the songs pop up on our playlist, and it's an album from, A guy named Jay Z. Have you guys heard that guy before? He's a pretty popular guy. You know, I don't know. I'd never heard of him before this, but um, no, he's got this album called uh, 444. And the thing about this album is, like, it's a change of pace for what everything Jay Z's been putting out. Like, I don't know if you guys remember "Big Pimpin," "Spand and Cheese." That was a dumbest song I've ever heard. Like, I quit listening to Jay-Z back then. I was like, this was back, I don't know, maybe 2000. I was like, never again will I listen to this foolishness. Like, hip-hop has gone to the pits. And then people are like, dude, you got to listen to Jay-Z's new album. I'm like, what's, what's, what's so good about Jay-Z? Like, man, you got he's just getting real. Jay-Z is getting real about himself. He's getting real about his flaws. He's getting real about who he is. And there's two songs that we're going to kind of feature today. The first one is called Kill Jay-Z. And I'll play a little clip what he's talking about in there. And then the second song is 444 where he admits to this infidelity that he, uh, that he took part in, this adultery, this, this, this cheating that he did on Beyonce. And he's apologizing for it. And he's putting himself out there. So, this is what he says about the song Kill Jay Z. It's really about the ego. It's about killing off the ego so we can have this conversation in the place of vulnerability and honesty. You know, Jay Z, the public persona, couldn't have this conversation. He has to be eliminated. He has to be moved. So it's really Sean Carter speaking to Jay Z. And he has to like convince him to move aside. So Jay Z doesn't owe it to anybody. He's on top of his game. Billionaire, couple. You know, I'm surprised they don't give him one of those names like Brangelina or something like that. But they're doing like amazing things. They've got all this money. He doesn't owe it to anybody to get real. But for whatever reason, he decides to get real on here. And there's another individual, another popular guy, a king called David. David in, in scriptures, uh, this king also got real. In a Psalm, Psalm 51 in the Bible, that's where we're going to be in. So if you've got a Bible, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We, our house crew can get one to you. It's on page 271 in the Bibles that are being handed out. David gets real. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the entire chapter, and then we'll go through uh, just the first few verses, verse by verse, as we teach on the message. Once you get to that space, say, I got it. Hold on. I hear one hold on. All right, I don't have much time, so I'm going to jump right in. All right, so verse... Beginning in verse one, Psalm 51, the writer David says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, meaning my sins or my faults. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, from my brokenness, he's essentially saying cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltlessness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You would not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bulls will be offered on your altar. Psalm 51 is called a penit- penitential song. It's it's a psalm that the church used in antiquity in the early church as a model of confession and repentance because in this situation, that's exactly what David is doing. See, in the title, it says, uh, to the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So what the situation is, David is this amazing king. He's ruling high. And his uh, army has gone to war. And most uh, kings of those days, they would actually lead the charge of the army. They would be in the front of the entire regiment. But for whatever reason, David decided to stay home at that time. And as he's at home, he's sitting on the top of his roof, or maybe he's in his room, and he's looking out the window, and he sees a lady taking a bath on the roof. And he looks a little too long. And he begins to wonder, who is this woman? And then something wells up inside of him and he says, go get this woman. He comes and because he's the king, what is she really going to say? No. So he takes advantage of this woman and then he finds out a few months later that she's pregnant. So instead of trying to remedy this situation, he calls the woman's husband who is one of his high-ranking officers back home. And he tries to trick him. He says, hey, listen, dude, you're off. I just want to give you a break. Go sleep with your wife. Enjoy some time with your wife. And uh, the guy is like, all right, cool. And then David wakes up in the morning. He opens the door, and the dude is laying in front of his doorstep. He's like, dude, I thought I told you to go sleep with your wife. He was like, how can I sleep with my wife while my men are out in battle? The integrity that came from that man so David's anger wells up inside of him and he says well he's gonna find out that I slept with his wife and that's not gonna be good for me in the kingdom and so what's gonna happen and I'm I'm a man of God and I'm a man of integrity so this is gonna look real bad on me so he sends this dude with a message and says deliver it to one of the armed guards over there and he gets there The man delivers, hey, I got a message from the king. The guy opens up. He's like, hey, put him in the front. Make sure he dies. So now David murders the guy who he stole his wife and got her pregnant. And then he takes and marries her. And then this prophet shows up. This prophet shows up to David's house and he says, hey, God knows what you did. And you've been caught red-handed, my man. So this song is David's response. This is him coming and he does three things in here. This is not in your notes, but you may want to write these down just for your own for your own reference of what confession and repentance looks like. Number 1, he asks God for mercy and cleansing. He asks God for mercy. Number 2, he acknowledges his sin. And number three, he asked God to purify him and to restore him. And so this is what I want to ask you guys. What would happen if we were this real and transparent about our lives? What would happen if we were this real and transparent about the ego, the brokenness, the sin, the lies, the corruption that lives inside of our own hearts? Because unless you're perfect... I'm pretty sure you've got some baggage as well, too. Jay-Z gives us a model of confession. But David takes it a step further and teaches us what true repentance really looks like. So let's go ahead and jump in this text, verse by verse. We're not going to go through all the verses, but let's see what David can teach us about getting real. This is point number one. This is the first thing I want us to remember. Confession begins with getting a real understanding of who God is. Verse 1, David comes to God. He says, have mercy on me, God. Oh, God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He's like, I've been caught. There's no escaping this. If there's a pit in his stomach, he's realized not only does Nathan the prophet know, but the almighty God knows. I can't stand blameless in front of everyone if God knows, because that's really who that matters. I, have you ever been caught in something red-handed? Have you ever been caught doing something wrong? I told you guys an example of um, my foolishness antics when I was young, when I, um, when I mooned the sweet old lady. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I was a kid. I was a kid. Okay, I was 16, but listen. (laughs) But I remember standing outside playing basketball and seeing the flashing lights behind me and that pit in my stomach that's been like, oh, I've been caught. Have you ever had that? This is what David's feeling right now. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He's sitting in a pig pen, and it finally hits him and says, this this is, what the heck have I done? There's a pit in his stomach, but here goes the deal. When we come to the point of confession, confession begins with getting a real understanding of who God is. And the prodigal son sitting in the pig pen, he starts thinking about who his dad is. Man, my dad has got all this wealth. Even his servants eat better than I do. And David sits here and he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. He's rehearsing something because he knows something about God that maybe the first reader looking at this doesn't recognize off the outset. Listen to... Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Actually, you can read it. It's on the screen. This is what God said. This is how God described himself to another guy named Moses. He says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And these are the same exact words that David uses talking about God and talking to God. He's appealing to God about himself. He's like, God, you know who you are. I know who you are. Your word tells me who you are, so I'm appealing to your mercy. I'm appealing to your steadfast love, because that's who you said you are. Before I even request anything, I just want to say, Lord, have mercy on me. I know who you are. Confession begins with the getting real, begins with getting real Getting a real understanding of who God is because a right understanding leads to right requests. A lot of times we ask, we wonder why we don't get what we want from God. Do we really understand who God is? Do we really understand how his heart is? When we come to our parents, believe you me, any child in here, Cece, Isaiah, Jen, Nina, when you need something from your parents, you know how to approach them, right? You're not just going to approach them any wild way. Right understanding leads to right requests. Confession begins with getting a real understanding of who God is. But there's another thing that one thing that David understands, and we, didn't, we, did, we left off for, at the end of this verse. Uh, go ahead and go to the next verse. It says, But who will by no means clear the guilty? He also knows God is not the one to be messed with. God is not the one to play with. I've made a mistake. I have broken my faithfulness towards God. And I need to get this right. How many of you guys know that if there's anybody to cross, God is the best one to cross because he is the forgiving God? He is the merciful God. He is the one who says, come, let us reason together verse 2, he goes on, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's uh, essentially talking about the Jewish ceremonial cleansing that people did before they entered God's presence. So in the Jewish culture, there were these uh, ceremonial laws and rituals that they had to do before they came to the temple. So if me and you were coming to church or we're coming to the temple, we'd have to go through these rigorous uh, cleansing rituals just so that we can go sit in the presence of God. And these rites were supposed Supposed to kind of give us an example of how God was going to cleanse our hearts so that we can come to him before we used to come with the mediator we had to go to the temple and the priest will do everything for us but now we can come into God's presence why because he's cleaned our hearts and we can go right directly into his presence and you see he's saying wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me he wants to get back into a right relationship with God He wants to get back into a place of fellowship. He's more concerned about broken fellowship than he is with God being mad at him. I just want to be reunited with you again, God. What do we do when we get caught with our sin? Are we more concerned about the anger that's taking place or is it more about getting back into relationship. I'll tell you what, when I got caught that day doing that foolishness, no consequence could have beat the look on my parents' face and the disappointment that came from there. Me being able to look at my father and say, my gosh, I've dropped the ball. Like, I can't even look at you in your eye right now. What do we do when we make mistakes? What do we do when we drop the ball in our lives? Point number two, Repentance doesn't make excuses for my mistakes, but owns them completely. Verse number three. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He owns up to his sin. He just says, flat out, I did it. There's no excuses. There's no one who made me do it. She didn't tempt me. A lot of us guys say, well, I wish you wouldn't wear those short skirts. Or I wish girls wouldn't wear those short shorts. It makes me stumble. Dude, cover your eyes. Quit putting it on somebody else. He owns his sin. He's like, man, I'm broken. I've messed up. I'm the one who did this. He didn't say You know, I was trying to to protect Uriah. I didn't want him to be embarrassed in front of everyone. So the best thing for us to do was just, you know, allow him to die because I'm a king. I can take better care of the baby. He didn't say any of that type of stuff. He just says, I jacked up. And I'm sorry. And it's interesting, in 444, the song of Jay-Z that he admits this affair that he had on Beyonce how he approaches it he simply says I apologize let I'll, I'll read to you the lyrics this is what he says to her he says look I apologize I often womanize took for my child to be born see through a woman's eyes took for these natural twins to believe in miracles took me too long for this song I don't deserve you I harassed you out in Paris please come back to Rome. You make it home. It's poetic. Isn't it? We talked for hours when you were on tour. Please pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Said don't embarrass me instead of be mine. That was my proposal for us to go steady. How would you like it if that's how your husband asked you to marry you? Don't embarrass me. Jeez, Jay-Z, Really? That was your 21st birthday. You mature faster than me. I wasn't ready, so I apologize. I've seen the innocence leave your eyes. I still mourn this death. I apologize for all the stillborns because I wasn't present. Your body wouldn't accept it. I apologize to all the women who I toyed with your emotions, because I was emotionless. I apologize because at your best, you are love, and because I fall short of what I say I'm all about, your eyes lead with the soul that your body once housed, and you stare blankly into space, thinking of all the time you wasted on all this basic stuff, so I apologize. How many of us? just apologize. We don't try to make excuses for why we do what we do. We just say, you know what? I'm sorry. This is who I am. I've got to fix it. Repentance doesn't make excuses for my mistakes, but owns them completely. Number three, point number three, confession recognizes that all wrongdoing is a capital offense towards God. Verse 4, he goes, against you, you only i have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless. He goes, against you only. See, man is made in the image of God, so when we sin against man, we're sinning against the very God who created him in his image. Every sin that we do, everything that we do against somebody else is ultimately a sin towards God. And David recognizes it. He says, listen, I sinned against Bathsheba. I sinned against Uriah. I sinned against my kingdom. But most of all, God, what's most important is I sinned against you. And some of us say, well, you know what? My sin doesn't really affect anybody. The things that I do doesn't really affect anybody. It's, it's my own deal. Nobody knows. I'm not hurting anyone. And we all talk about those. We all know those vices that we have in our lives. I'm not projecting it towards anybody. This, This is not anyone's fault. I'm not doing this to anybody. This is all about me. And even if it doesn't harm anyone, it offends God's standard. God says, be holy for I am holy. It doesn't matter whether you're doing it against somebody else. As long as it's going against God's standard word, guess what? You've offended God. And this is not no, an emotional offense like we take offense. You know, somebody says something wrong to us and we get all offended, get all in our feelings. I hate your shoes. Oh Guys, can you believe what they said to me? They hated my shoes. You see the shoes they were wearing? Show up with a nice ride, Jerry. It's all right. You're talking about it's all right. You know how long it took me to build this? Did you nothing to me. <laughs> you don't say that, Jerry. You're much nicer than that. But this is a recognition that everything that we do, no matter how small, no matter how big, at the end of the day, it's an offense towards the Almighty God because He sets the standard. When we drop the ball, we're not just dropping the ball against our spouse. We're not just dropping the ball against our coworker when we connive and scheme. At the end of the day, we are offending God himself. Make sense? Point number four. Repentance acknowledges the fact that I am incapable of good without God. Mm. Repentance acknowledges the fact that I am incapable of good without God. This is what he says. He says before in verse five, before behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mom conceive me. Now, he's, he's, listen, when you read that, you're like, man, what was mama doing? Was Papa a rolling stone? What happened? David? David, you're throwing shade on your mama. That's not right. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, from the time I came into my mother's womb and I became a living being, I was sinful. I was not good. I was not perfect. I was still broken. And then when I came out of my mother's womb and they held me and they said, oh, this precious, beautiful baby. In that moment, I was a rotten sinner. That's how I got my start. I was conceived sinful, and I was born sinful. Not that I became sinful because I did sinful things. No, it was in my nature. I was corrupt from my beginning. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says this, Ecclesiastes 7.20, he says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And if you're in here, I'm going to ask you to leave right now because we say no perfect people allowed around these parts. I can't keep up with your standard. I'm just already trying to keep up with Jesus. I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. This is what he says. He says, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And somebody in here is like, yeah, that sounds good. You know what? I know a lot of people who do good things. I do good things not all the way that bad. You know, pagans do good things and, and by the way, let, let me just clear this up. The word pagan is not supposed to be a derogatory term. It just means anyone who's not affiliated with the world religion. So not so if somebody's a Muslim, they're not pagan. That's a world religion. If somebody's Jewish, they're not pagan. Just because somebody's not Christian doesn't mean they're, they're pagan, meaning this individual is not affiliated with any of the world religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, or anything like that. That's what a pagan is. So we can say even people who have no religion whatsoever have, they do good things, don't they? there's this concept called civil virtue, civil virtue. It's something that, you know, was developed a long, long time ago. And really what this simply means is that we're capable of doing good things mechanically. Anyone can do a good act. I mean, I'm pretty sure even Hitler did something nice for his mom. hard as it could be for us to believe. I'm just just throwing it out there. just try to pick like one of the worst people and just, but let's be serious, right? Even some of the most corrupt people have done some good things. Uh, Civil virtue are are deeds that that outwardly look like they conform to God's law, but the heart behind it is really what matters, because remember, what does God say? He judges the heart. He doesn't judge the action. It's not about what we do. I remember when, when I was a youth pastor. Every time kids would get saved, the first thing they'll come ask me is like, "Alright, Pastor Muta, I believe in Jesus now. What, uh, uh, what should I stop doing?" I'm like, "Man, get to know Jesus, dude." Yeah, but like, should I stop doing this? Should I stop doing this? Should I stop doing this? I'm like, listen, Jesus is not about behavior modification. He's about heart transformation. So start there first. Because that's how God looks at us. And there's this, this quote that uh, from R.C. Sproul where he continues. He says, the supreme motive required of everything we do is love for God. A deed that outwardly conforms to God's law but proceeds from a heart alienated from God is not deemed By God, a good deed. So, essentially, what this statement is saying: we are incapable of honoring God without God. The good that God requires for our lives, we can't do on our own. We are born incapable of being perfect or be having a perfect standard that meets God's standard. No matter what we do, if we do good to, we're blue in the face, if our heart is not compelled by God's love for us and our love and respect for him, then it means nothing. I know that's a hard thing to swallow. He says in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret of heart. Truth in the inward being, that's what it's all about. God doesn't care about lip service. God is more concerned about our our heart because heart change leads to life change. Think about it. It's it's in every sphere of life, right? If your relationship is going really bad, if you're just doing things to be nice, eventually the person's going to make you angry again and you're not going to want to be nice anymore. But if in your heart you've committed to love and to respect and to be kind to this individual, there's something about heart conviction that allows you to overcome any frustration that comes your way. It's same thing in entrepreneurship. We've got some entrepreneurs in here. In our minds, we can want something. But if our heart is not tuned and set towards doing something, oh, when those hard times comes, it's real easy to just quit. A lot of us start off each year with all these goals, and I want to accomplish this this year. If, if all it is is in our minds, like, hey, I'm just going to commit to doing these things, and my heart is not into it, if I'm not convicted in my heart to actually go for it, eventually it's January 31st Then you're like, what was my goal again? Because heart change leads to life change. That's why in verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's coming at God not because in my mind I'm frustrated, I've been caught, and I'm just trying to make things right. He's coming because there's a heart conviction that's saying, This is a broken relationship with God, and I need to, I, I, I need him to help me fix this. I know I can't do it by myself because I can't do good without God. And Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And that's why we need to get real David got real Jay Z got real and for us more than anything we've got to get real with ourselves and we've got to get real with God about our heart's condition so in what areas are you struggling In what areas are you flat out dropping the ball? We know we're not dumb. In what areas are we just not reaching the standard that God has for us to reach? We've got to get real. And I believe getting real will bring us to a place that David was. A place of confession and a place of repentance. See, see confession, it's easy to confess. Like we begun this message. We can all confess like, hey man, I suck in real life. We confess like, hey, I'm a procrastinator. Many of us confess every single day. We confess in a common conversation with people. Confession is an admittance of the fact that we don't measure up. And I'm sorry, this message is like I'm just beating up everybody, but listen, this, it kicked my butt first. I couldn't even get to preaching this message this week until I worked out some of my own issues. See, that's confession. Confession is just admitting that there's something wrong. But repentance is something different. See, repentance is like walking in a direction and realizing the direction that I'm going is wrong, or the direction I'm going is unproductive, or the direction that I'm going is unfruitful, so what am I going to do? I'm going to make a 180 degree turn to go back to a different direction. And in the context of our faith, in the context of Christianity, repentance is saying I'm walking in full rebellion to God or there are things in my life that I'm just not measuring up and lest one of us in here says, well, you know what? I'm not that bad. Remember, no one does good. And if you're honest, you will admit there are some areas that you've got to work on. And what repentance says, in these areas, all sin is a sin against God. So I am in rebellion towards God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn around and I'm going to start heading towards him. Because confession without repentance is lip service that leads to condemnation. But then there's some of us in here who are just like, we're go-getters. I can change. I can do this on my own. I'm not that bad. There's some people who are just terrible. Like, they they do some horrendous things. Like, look at what's happening overseas. You know, the issues that I have, I'm just going to fix them myself. You know, they they may not be all that bad. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to turn around and I'm going to fix it myself. You know what? Repentance without confession, without admitting that I am, I'm broken, God. I've I've, I've not met your standards and I need to turn around. Repentance without confession is prideful arrogance that leads to destruction. I wanted to use the word damnation, but I thought it was too strong. But I think I'm just going to use that right now. Repentance without confession leads to damnation. Because what you're saying is I can do God's work in my life on my own. I don't need you, God. So last week, Pastor Derek preached a message and he gave us a challenge. He said, man, just getting." Get somewhere quiet by yourself. Turn the music on and just begin to sing. And as God was convicting me around the things in my own life where I'm dropping the ball and things where I'm not measuring up. He uh, literally got me out of bed at 2.30 in the morning. And I jumped in the car. I turned the music way up. And I just started worshiping. I started confessing and I started repenting, and I drove around this city two times just in in, in prayer, in confession, and repentance, because I'm standing here to tell you guys I'm not there yet. I'm along the journey with you guys. Don't let me stand up here and make it look like I got my stuff together. Around here, irrelevant, we're saying, listen, we're all on a journey. Let's get on this journey of confession and repentance and get real about who we really are. I want to end with this, verse seven. Here, uh, point number five, let me give you that. I hope I gave you all the points. I feel like I missed one, but if you need it, you get it later. Point number five, getting real knows that Jesus' sacrifice is all sufficient to present me clean and blameless before God. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So this hyssop, it's, 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 like, a, a, it's like a branch with tree with, with leaves and, and stuff on it. And what hyssop was used for, it was used in ceremonial cleansing in Jewish rites, like we've been talking about. They would take hyssop, they would rub it on stuff. So if you had touched somebody who had leprosy, they would take uh, hyssop, because people with leprosy were considered, like, outcasts. They couldn't even be part of the the community of faith. And so they would take uh, branches of hyssop. It's got, like bristles on it and little, it's like a hairy branch and um, on the leaves and they would rub it on you and it's said to have healing properties and so they would use these as part of the ceremonial cleansing and the other thing that they use it for is if you ingest hyssop it was able to, like, clear up all type of chest congestion. If you had lung issues, it would clear stuff up. Like, had all these amazing healing properties that when you ingested it, it just cleaned you from the inside out. So not only could it clean you outside, but it could clean you inside. And then there was one significant time where uh, God called the children of Israel, these chosen people, and they were in captivity and bondage in in Egypt. They were in slavery. And he says, listen, I'm getting you out of slavery. You're in this bondage and I need to free you from this bondage. But this is what's going to happen. All the people that don't want to release you from uh, slavery, these people who want to keep you captive, I'm going to come through and I'm going to send my angel to come through and he's going to take all the lives of all the firstborns to let them know that I'm God and you don't mess with my people. So uh, he, take, he tells them to take this branch of hyssop, to dip it in the blood of, of a sacrificial animal because they're these sacrificial animals. Uh, um, Rights that they did again, they they dipped the branch in the blood. It was covered in blood, and they had to come to their doorpost and put the blood on their doorpost. And on their doorpost, once the angel came through to make sure that judgment was done on everyone, anyone whose door had a, a blood on it would not have their firstborn lost. Their life would be spared. And there's one other. Broken body that we know about in Scripture. You see, in Scripture it says Jesus' body was broken on our behalf. And it wasn't dipped in blood. It was covered in blood. Jesus Christ went to the cross and as the blood was spilled on the cross, it not only saved us outwardly, but it saved us inwardly and it saved us eternally. That purge me with hyssop. And as we come to the communion table today, we are essentially saying the broken body that was broken on our behalf. Jesus' body that was beat and brutalized was done for me. And as we take the bread and we dip it in the blood, as we're saying, the blood that was shed for me was sufficient to purify me from the inside out. So this morning, as we come to the communion table, I want us to get real. Because this is what 1 Corinthians tells us. Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians he gives us a warning about coming to the communion table without first getting real with ourselves. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves. Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. A right understanding leads to right requests. Knowing who God is makes us come to him with humility, with reverence. We're not just confessing today. We're not just saying, I'm broken, I'm not perfect. We're saying, God, I'm ready run towards you. I'm ready to let go of trying to be in control of my life. Whatever it is that's standing in the way of a full relationship with you, today, I leave it at the cross because Jesus' blood and his body are sufficient to cleanse me I'm gonna ask everybody that everybody to bow their heads. God, as we come to the communion table, Lord, hear our hearts. We know that when Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, he broke the bread and he says, This is my body that's being broken on your behalf. He says, This is my blood that is being shed on your behalf and he passed around the bread and he passed around the cup and he reminded them as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, as we remember his sacrifice, allow us to know and be confident that when we come in full confession and repentance that you are merciful, you are steadfast in your love, you will forgive our sins and god if there's one person here who's not made a decision to follow you they've been hearing this message and they realize i'm i'm not perfect and i want jesus blood to cover my life as well too i want to be made clean i want to be made whole god i ask that this individual in here will make a decision right now in their hearts and say they want to accept jesus christ as their lord and savior And God, as we prepare to come to the communion table, I pray that everyone takes a moment and reflects on their own life. And make sure, Lord, they are at peace with you. We ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus.